everyone, and welcome back to Crowning Around, a podcast where three regular everyday peasants attempt to learn about the royal family through their depictions on film and television. My name is Sam Chung, and today we will be talking about The Crown Season 5, Episode 9, entitled Couple 31. There are only two episodes left here in Season 5 of The Crown, and uh, yeah, we're getting down to the wire. Joining me as always to break it all down are my two co-hosts. First, a man who loves eating scrambled eggs in the kitchen. It's Ivan Vukovic. Ivan, what is the secret to making a successful omelet? Uh, American style or French style? What is the difference? <laughs> uh, huge difference. In fact, I have labored over this difference many a times because, uh, you know, the key to a good French omelet is that, like, you're not really browning the omelet at all. You're keeping, like, the... Uh, exterior so to speak like very smooth and uh you know the texture is very like uh constant throughout whereas like the more sort of roughed up american omelet that we're used to has like browning and bumps and um you know has has much more of uh uh you know kind of colorful topography so the american omelet is the lazy omelet is what you're saying. It's the lazy <laughs> omelet, yeah. So like the French omelet requires like a lot more uh, technique and precision to execute. In fact, I think uh, if I understand correctly, like I'm, I've, I've never worked at a restaurant or, you know, been a professional chef, but I've heard that uh, preparing a French omelet is often a, uh, a test that chefs will give to, uh, you know, prospective employees who are, you know, trying out to work in their kitchen. Oh, wow. And what if you just are concerned about how to flip it without breaking it? <laughs> uh, well, again, I think like for a French omelet, like th this is really make it or break it because you have to find a way to like wrap that omelet in a way where it uh, stays intact. And, uh, you know, you're again, keeping the, the texture of the entire exterior uh, consistent. So not overcooking it, uh, but also still cooking it enough that uh, it's stable. All right. Thank you for your master class. Bet you, bet you didn't think you'd get that detailed of an answer, did you, Sam? No, I hope we're charging people for all this culinary advice <laughs> for this cooking class. Uh, also back with us put, today. Put, the, put this behind a New York Times paywall. Yeah, uh, along with Wordle. Um, also back with us today, uh, a force of nature who can convince anyone to stop booting your car. It's Carlin Greenwald. Carlin, what is your secret? Say that again. <laughs> Yeah, what? Uh, I said, a force of nature who can convince anyone to stop booting your car. Do you mean like putting the things where you can't drive away? Yes. Oh, okay. Um. <laughs> oh, man. So wait, wait. the question was advice to give to people to have them not, not have their car, car booted? booted. Yes. Uh, I mean, you could, you know, you could just not, you know, break the traffic violation. That's always a guarantee. Not, par not park it illegally? Like, yeah. <laughs> You can try that. Um, or, 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 go, or go live somewhere that's less automobile-centric. You could do either of those things. Um, otherwise, what my mom used to do, like when we go to LAX, because they really don't like you standing there, is you have to keep someone in the car, preferably, like, maybe you have to keep an adult and a child. So it's not like child endangerment, but it's also like they feel bad. They <laughs> Please don't like move my car with my child in the car. I don't know. I like think they feel a little bit bad. Got it. So wait, would you be the child in the car? Well, I'm trying. I would always go with her to LAX to pick up some person, and they just the the rules got really strict about when you could like wait to pick someone up. I don't know. I guess because traffic got worse. I mean, this is kind of a thing at all airports, right? Oh, is it? I don't know. Everyone at LAX acts like it's their problem. Like it's specifically their burden to bear 
and you have to circle the airport over and over again. Is that just like yeah, an airport yeah. thing? Oh, That's well, an airport no, thing. Yeah. I mean, I imagine it's probably not as much of an issue at like smaller regional airports or places that, you know, aren't quite as uh, highly trafficked. But yeah, we had it in Seattle as well. I- I've gotten yelled at. Yeah, like chill. Carlin, do you think now your mom could just say, I only need one more uh one more issue with my car before I can exchange it? I <laughs> don't boot it. Don't think we're at that. I think she has two more problems she needs. Oh, two, two more problems. All right. Close. She can lie. <laughs> Okay, uh, before we dive into the events that unfolded in this episode, we like to just say off the top that uh, if you came here for any sort of factual clarity about the events that transpired here in The Crown, whether or not this was actually the first time Charles has eaten in a kitchen, uh, you've come to the wrong place because we don't know. We are just going to assume that everything that we saw in the episode is true because otherwise, why would it be in the show? As we all know, The Crown is 100% factual. Uh, And with that, (laughs) Ivan, uh, could you please give us a quick recap of The Crown Season 5, Episode 9, Couple 31? Would love to, yeah. Uh, So the year is 1996, and uh, Elizabeth II is the monarch of Great Britain. Um, And it is during this time that uh, Charles and Diana are uh, on the heels of a big public uh, divorce um, after a very uh, drawn-out separation and a very rocky marriage that we have uh, witnessed over the course of the previous two seasons. I'm providing a lot of detail up front because not a lot actually happens in the episode itself. Um, so when we open up, uh, you know, they're uh, proceeding with uh, uh, with uh, kind of divorce settlement discussions. And Diana has a, a, a very lofty sum that she is requesting to be able to walk away quietly and, uh, you know, have this thing be uh, uh, quick and over with. Charles is pushing back a little bit. Uh, but meanwhile, um, he's also looking to bring uh, Camilla into, uh, you know, the public life and really have uh, her aligned uh, uh, with him and on his side as they look toward the future. And to be able to execute that successfully, they've hired uh, some kind of PR consultant or spin doctor, as they're calling him, uh, to advise on how they can uh, make their uh, image as a future couple a positive one. And the one thing that the spin doctor insists upon more than anything is to get this uh, divorce over with uh, as quickly as possible. Um, And so with that, you know, Charles uh, not quite gives in to Diana's uh, request, but uh, provides uh, an appealing counteroffer that she ends up accepting. Um, And then in the uh, and then throughout all of this, uh, we actually have um, Prime Minister uh, John Major act as a mediator between the two of them and try to get them to play nice, which they eventually do. But one could argue you not as a result of any of his actions, but rather just the um, desire to kind of get all of this wrapped up. So um, once the uh, settlement uh, is... um uh, you know, kind of agreed upon and they move forward with the divorce proceedings. Uh, Charles visits Diana um, at her apartment um, for kind of like a closure, uh, uh, excuse me, kind of like a closure discussion where they reflect upon their marriage, what went wrong, what went right, what they could have done better, um, the ways in which they um, hurt each other. Um, and, uh, you know, there some tensions flare up a little bit um, and it ultimately kind of ends on a very... Uh, 
um, somber note and, uh, you know, they go their separate ways and the episode closes with uh, kind of an archive footage flashback to uh, the news coverage of their wedding day uh, way back in the early 80s. And uh, yeah, huge bummer of an episode. Um, It's also, uh, you know, spliced with... um, scenes of uh, kind of normal everyday couples going through uh, similar divorce proceedings. Uh, but of course, you know, their problems are um, a lot more real and down to earth uh, uh, compared to some of these royals. But in the end, uh, it's the same court system that ends up processing uh, uh, both uh, the commoners divorces as well as the royals divorces. So it kind of compares and contrasts uh, the the difficulties that uh, both of them go through um yeah so that's uh, uh season five episode nine couple 31 thanks ivan yeah so as you said um the divorce proceedings for or rather the divorce ruling i guess for diana and charles happens in the same court as everybody else i was a little bit surprised by this that there's not some sort of like royal process were you were you surprised by this as well uh i mean how many divorces do they have? That's not, I, well, I mean, they had a lot with, with Elizabeth's kids, but I, I guess it's just not like, what do they have to go to the court to get married to? Yeah. I, I was confused. I mean, and having never gone through a divorce myself or witnessed uh, any other, you know, formal legal proceedings for one, I'm confused that there is like this requirement to hold a public court uh, proceeding for the divorces to be officialized. But uh, the, uh, you know, participants of the marriage do not actually have to be in attendance. Uh, So that's the part that tripped me up a little bit because we saw these scenes of, you know, normal everyday people having to, uh, you know, speak to some administrative official to, you know, talk about the cause of their disillusion. but we don't get like that scene with Charles and Diana going down to, you know, some like drab building and sitting in a, uh, you know, beige wallpaper room having to like talk to, you know, somebody who's working in like a, a civil service position uh, to talk about like, oh, you know, here's where things get, went wrong. But then, you know, the end result is the same. It just goes to like the courts. There's a, a judge that administers over the official declaration of the dissolution of the marriage. Uh, but the difference is that for uh, Charles and Diana, uh, that, uh, you know, public court proceeding was attended uh, by members of the press, whereas uh, otherwise it normally just takes place in a oddly empty courtroom. These scenes didn't do that much for me. I, I, I felt like we didn't need them. They, they didn't add that much to me. It was just, I think we got four of them or maybe three of them, just uh, random British yeah. couples explaining why their marriage had fallen apart. And I was like, let's get back to the crown. <laughs> you don't have <laughs> yeah, enough uh, stuff to do. Yeah. But I mean, quite honestly, I get it because there was just not that much meat uh, in this sandwich of an episode. Like, Again, like the the plot summary that I gave, I had to, you know, kind of fluff up a little bit because if you just break it down into what actually happened, you could probably just run through it in three or four sentences. Yeah, well, I think the problem is that we've been just building up to this for, I mean, how many episodes? I feel like the entire season has been well, two seasons and really. last yeah, yeah. yeah it's yeah. been a long time yeah like yeah i mean granted this is the penultimate episode not the finale but it, it does feel like the whole thing concludes uh you know with a whimper which which one could argue that maybe that's how it was for the real life marriage that you know there was no you know like 
grand final like you know bout of arguments and and contention it was just kind of like yeah this is withered away let's uh put the nail in the coffin but uh yeah the the entire episode felt uh very low energy yeah they they could have used like a montage or something at the very beginning you know just just show both of them being miserable show elizabeth being miserable you know we didn't need the couple yeah. Well, and again, this is where, uh, you know, I question how much of what we've seen covered uh, this season we really needed. Um, I mean, obviously, the Panorama uh, interview and Charles's interview and, and, you know, all of those very, like, uh, you know, public, uh, messy ordeals. But, like, if you think about it, like, from where season four ended with Diana, you know, just like contemplating her future in this family and realizing that there probably isn't much of a future, like you could probably skip straight ahead to this episode and not really wonder what happened in between. Part of me wishes, yeah, I mean, this is really the first time this season that we've gotten kind of like extended time with Camilla. I almost wish they had built that out a little bit more because she kind of just tells us a lot of the stuff that's happening to her. We don't really see it. She's like, my neighbor has to get my groceries. I can't take my dog for a walk. And then she's like, I have this big decision to make. I can either stop seeing Charles or we go full steam ahead. And I mean, that decision is pretty anticlimactic because we never see her really struggle with that decision. I just, Mm -hmm. I felt like there were other ways for this episode to go rather than just watching three random British couples, you know, (laughs) break up. I disagree a little bit. I I did really like the scene with uh, uh, Camilla and her spin doctor where he's trying to get her to verbalize, uh, you know, what it'll mean for her to move full steam ahead. And uh, your her reluctance uh, uh, at even, like, contemplating, uh, let alone uttering the reality of her being the future Queen of England. Uh, that That was, like, probably one of my favorite, if not my favorite scene of the episode. Oh, no, I totally agree. I'm saying I wanted more of that. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Because I feel like the last time we really saw Camilla in any sort of, you know, meaningful way, I guess, was the episode where they were talking dirty on the phone. How long ago was that? <laughs> that was, I mean, that, yeah, the way ahead, right? That was yeah. like the big, the big uh, yeah. Charles episode, that was like uh, which last I think season. was like four episodes ago. Yeah. <laughs> well, no, it was, it was this season, <laughs> but it, it, it does feel like a lifetime ago. Um, and, and, and granted that scene with the actual phone call took place like in, you know, slightly uh, slightly flashing back to season four timeline like 1989 and then like we're in 92 when the fallout happens so yeah it's now 96 and we have not really watched like uh camilla's arc unfold in any meaningful way which again considering what the real estate of this season has been allocated to like i think it's perfectly reasonable to have wanted uh, an episode that zeroed in on her but uh, once again we have said that about many 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 figures on this show that is true yeah. uh one character who does seem to be moving forward in at least the way that she's viewing the situation is queen elizabeth she writes two identical oh, yeah, letters <laughs> <laughs> she writes two identical letters one to charles one to diana Basically saying, you know what, this is this is a regrettable situation, but I guess I reluctantly accept it. And uh, is this growth? Uh, yeah, I guess. This her going into the modern age of understanding that some marriages can't last. I don't think this is growth so much as exasperation. Like I think <laughs> I mean, she has uh, 
you know, crunched the numbers and determined that like the amount of, you know, scandals surrounding this uh, marriage and separation and all of the, you know, interviews and memoirs and all of the nonsense that will probably continue to unfold if they don't put a stop to it. it it's just not worth it any, anymore. Like it, it, the returns are diminishing quickly. So did you want to hear something interesting? Always. Queen Elizabeth writes these two letters and we see uh, on screen actually Charles's letter. And then afterwards we get Queen Elizabeth voiceovering the letter. And so I froze the screen and I read the letter and there's oh, stuff no. in the voiceover that is not in Charles's letter, but is in oh. her voiceover. Oh, shit. And the, All right, the, do line, tell. the line that is in her voiceover that is not in the letter is that uh, this is causing a lot of anguish to William and Harry. So do we think that she only wrote that in Diana's letter? Ooh, that's interesting. I thought that she, wait, that was in the voiceover, wasn't it? It was in the voiceover. It was not in the written letter to Charles. Oh, Whoa. so so she yeah, might have included. <laughs> so she included that bit uh, to kind of guilt trip Diana a bit, but not Charles. That's kind of that's kind of messed up. Oh, classic uh, whatever time she's from parenting style there. Because I was like, where did that come from? <laughs> Quite honestly, like it would have been lazy to. Uh, well, I mean, it was lazy for her to use the same template for both letters. Like <laughs> the 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 message that. Charles and Diana uh, respectively need to hear to move forward. Like they're different sentiments. It would be extremely, again, lazy of Elizabeth to have done the, the, the exact same letter. But I guess the implication is that the text of these letters were largely unchanged from one another, except for the inclusion or removal of one or two lines is what you're telling me. I can't believe they found the. I mean, I get, I'm gonna assume that these are the real letters. I can't believe they got access to these letters. I mean, do we don't know that they did? Yeah, yeah I don't know. Well, be cool if they did. We I'd don't even know if these letters existed. That's what I, I thought. We were assuming everything was true. I mean, maybe they found Diana's letter at some point. Yeah, I guess they could have found that. <laughs> so, on that topic of assuming everything is true, I do need to skip ahead to something because it is it is burning for me. Oh, um, okay. And, and this is where I do have to take a step back and say that what I'm about to express about these people uh, is going to be rooted in the um, understanding that these are fictionalized versions of these figures. And what happened in this episode that I witnessed most likely didn't happen in real life. And whatever reaction I'm about to exhibit as a result is a reaction only to these fictionalized characters I've been ripped and off not the, the real life people. <laughs> it's happening. Okay. okay, so at the end of this, or toward the end of this episode, in the kitchen scene, uh, Diana uses a metal spatula on a nonstick skillet, and I think that she deserves every bad thing that is going to happen to her as a result. <laughs> oh my god. Also, there is nothing, she... there's nothing there's nothing more vile, more thoughtless, <laughs> and more out of touch than wasting and ruining a nonstick skillet by using a metal spatula. That is like rich people shit. And that car crash can't come soon enough. Oh my god. <laughs> Ivan, she makes it very clear she doesn't know how to cook an omelet. She ha she says Darren has to leave instructions for her. <laughs> Where I don't is care. Darren? I, I Why don't care. Why did we get a Darren I don't care. episode? I don't care. <laughs> 
I don't care. The sound of a metal spatula scraping on like nonstick Teflon is like one of the worst sounds imaginable. <laughs> like I like as soon as that shot was shown on screen, I was like, oh, fuck, no. And Diana lost all the sympathy I had for her. There is now clearly a hero and a villain in this uh, ordeal. Charles <laughs> is the hero. Diana is the villain. Case closed. Well, we should have seen Charles make the would one have to use a metal spatula? On a cast iron skillet, on a stainless steel skillet, basically any other surface that isn't nonstick. Okay. Wow. That was not where I thought you were going with that. (laughs) Well, I went there, and I'm not going back. Before we get... Okay, I want to rewind a little bit. Before we get to this, like, long, long scene of... Uh, Charles and Diana, which I think took up like the last 15 minutes of the episode almost. Uh, first, I want to talk about John Major because I feel like this is one of the few times we've really kind of gone in depth into him. And he's fascinating. Like, it made me feel like I wanted more. Like, clearly his home life is a mess. Uh, he's kind of a workaholic. But also the way that he views himself in context with the rest of the world, um, where he's like the only rational man in a sea of chaos, uh, I found to be really interesting. Yeah, I wonder if we were to rank the prime ministers that we've seen on The Crown, uh, like based on how well acquainted we as the viewers got with them and, and how much of their personal lives and their sort of inner turmoil were presented to us as the audience, like where would we put John Major? Like probably not as high as like Winston and Margaret, but probably higher than just about anybody else right probably no i would put him almost uh, last still i still oh. think we got more <laughs> <See>, non knowledge <laughs> what about what about mick what about mcmillan we we got like a hint that his like you know well that no, was not more a than a hint. Okay, we got a scene cock? with his wife at, <laughs> at the uh wait that was mcmillan right I think that yeah, was yeah. McMillan. Yeah. But but the the problem is like that McMillan storyline went nowhere. We got like these, you know, setups for like this like messy like affair subplot and then nothing ever happened and suddenly he was out of office. I mean, you could say I mean, the will same this about go anywhere? this. Yeah. <laughs> like this hasn't really gone anywhere yet. You just get his wife being like, "I'm going back to the house." I feel like this won't go anywhere. The prime ministers, if you're not Margaret Thatcher or Winston Churchill, you don't get you don't get a complete arc. Harold Wilson. Well, got I mean, some Harold stuff, Harold yeah. Wilson got a lot of screen oh, time, but not. But yeah, he got a lot of screen time, but not a lot of inner exploration. Yeah, but he was a fun foil for Queen Elizabeth, at least. Yeah, he oh, was a funny miss, guy. Miss that guy. <laughs> yeah. Are we ever gonna get anyone fun again? Unknown. I mean, I hear there's a big election coming up. <laughs> Will Boris Johnson make the crown season six? Oh, no. <laughs> Wait, no, no. I'm I'm talking about in the context of where we are right now. We're we're, oh, we're coming close Tony to Tony Blair, Blair era. <laughs> oh yeah, I guess they might. If they don't make him a character, that'd be kind of funny because you just expect him to be one. You, you I mean, you, you'd have to imagine because, like, I've seen, uh, you know, Peter Morgan's other, you know, royal uh, related work, The Queen, and I mean that was basically like a, a story, lo- a story about. Tony Blair and the Queen and and the role that he played in kind of the fallout of, uh, uh, you know, Princess Diana's passing. So I am guessing that we are going to meet him very soon and that he'll have a pretty big role in season uh, six. On that note, can I just say the pacing of this season, we've only gone through what, like four years? I feel like the balance between where we left off season four 
and where we're supposed to end season six feels like the pacing has been so off. Like we should have gotten much further in the timeline. Isn't season six just the 2000s? I thought Peter Morgan didn't want to touch the like Harry and Meghan stuff. Yeah, I think we're probably, I mean, if we're ending now in the mid 90s, then I think season six will take us through like, you know, late 90s and early 2000s, which which is still covering a lot more ground than this because we began in what, like 91, 92, and here we are in 96. And we actually spent most of the season in the early 90s. Like we did not cover that much ground from a temporal perspective. Back to uh, John Major for a second. So Liz asks him to be a mediator and he's like, ooh, a mediator. This is the job I've always wanted. Um, and so he mediates between Charles and Diana. Do we think that he actually did anything? Uh, well, again, considering nothing that he did actually affected the ultimate outcome, and it was really more of like the PR consultants that, uh, you know, drove the urgency for a quick divorce. Like, I, I would say no. I, I would say, in fact, that like they sat down in the writer's room or, or Peter Morgan's office or whatever and realized like, oh, shit, it's episode nine. We've cast Johnny Lee Miller to play John Major. We haven't given him anything big to do. What a waste of a casting. Let me try to like fabricate some throwaway subplot for him in episode nine. I was going to say, I don't think he did anything. The spin doctors did everything. And then he tried to take the credit with the queen. Exactly. Classic John Major. But it's also entirely possible that John Major was uh, in the dark about uh, how much of an effect that the PR consultants were having. Like, he may not have even known that Charles and Camilla were meeting with uh, these folks and ultimately being coerced into, you know, ripping off the divorce Band-Aid through whatever means possible. It could be that he just suddenly saw an acceleration in in the, uh, you know, deliberations and thought like, oh, I guess I did something right. I mean, these seem to be two pretty high-profile PR consultants, even though what Mark seems to be like 15 years old. He looks so young. <laughs> <laughs> I think they even make a comment uh, in the show about how young he looks. But yeah, he he's like, basically, this is not a lost cause. If you just show each other that you actually like each other and that like this is a love story, people will be able to get behind it, which... I mean, on the other side of that, mixed results. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what? Charles likes it. Camilla likes it. And they're like, uh, yeah, let's get this divorce wrapped up as quickly as possible. So Diana is demanding 35 million pounds uh, as like restitution and to set up like her office moving forward. Ivan, you were very proud because you did this conversion. How much is 35 million pounds today? So 35 million pounds uh, today is approximately 84 million pounds, which Ooh. comes out to just under 100 million USD. Good for her. <laughs> I, I think this is kind of funny. Just gouge the royal family when they don't really have, I guess they do have income. Yeah, because they have, isn't it like tourists? How do they make money again? I understand why Diana would need $100 million because she's going to have to replace a lot of nonstick skillets throughout her life, <laughs> like on a, on a, say, twice weekly basis. Oh, my God. No, that's way too much money. Nobody needs that much money. That is a lot well, of money. Well, is the royal family, so she might as they, well try to take but, it. But, but, but Diana now wants to become a private citizen. She wants to remove herself from the situation. Uh, good luck to you, Diana, but, like, 
you do not need $100 million for the rest of your life. I fully support women taking um, as much money as they possibly can from rich people. So, And I think we I should think eat the rich. Yeah, well, uh, if yes. you were divorcing a rich man, you would try to take that much money too. Wouldn't no, we all? I'd kill it's free him money. First. Yeah, I guess. What? What? Yeah. <laughs> they end up settling for 17 million pounds and uh, a stipend of 400,000 pounds per year. It seems like in perpetuity, that feels like a long so time. Much money. That's still a lot of money. I mean, let's face it. This ended up being a good deal for Charles. Oh, my uh, God. I mean, there's no way he could have known that. Or did he? I, but hey, sometimes things have a way of working themselves out, especially with people who use metal spatulas on nonstick skillets. Oh, my God. You're going to get canceled for your take. <laughs> hey, I'm, I'm speaking of a fictional character on a, uh, you know, drama series on netflix known as the crown uh this as far as i know is not really what happened or a reflection of the real life uh, diana princess of wales who i'm sure was a very lovely woman but this version of diana on the crown can rotten hell <laughs> they cancel wow. you even if it was fictional um no one has media literacy anymore but uh <laughs> that's true yeah c c come at me are what 50 listeners someone just one just one yeah, what were we talking about? I mean, Charles is like, this will ruin me. I, I don't understand. If he doesn't make any money by doing anything, are you being ruined because like your little pot is shrinking? I, I guess. Think he does make money. It. He makes money just by virtue of, I think, being a landowner and charging rent oh. to people. Like, I feel like the crown owns a lot of land that people, oh. that he's essentially like a landlord of. Oh, okay. Interesting. Well... You seem fine now, Charles. It all worked out. Why did we never see William and Harry in this episode? That's also something they could have padded the runtime with besides the couples. You want me to tell you why we didn't see them? Because child actors, you have to pay them. They can only work certain hours. Well, not only that, but I think they cast William and Harry uh, at the age that they were in the early 90s when most of this episode took place. And in order to now show them in 1996, they probably would have had to find a way to like either age them up or recast them with actors who were, you know, roughly four years uh, older looking. And they just didn't want to go through the pain of doing that. But they're going to have to because they obviously have to show those two when Diana dies, which isn't that long after. Right, so, right. But like, uh, you know, uh, depending on when that happens, which may or may not be before the end of the season, uh, it's, you know, potentially a problem for next season that they just didn't want to have to deal with now. I guess. <laughs> I mean, we haven't seen Harry, I think, since the the yacht okay. trip. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Do we think that was because the crown writers are like, oh, a lot's going on with real life Harry. We don't want to depict him. Again, I really think it had more to do with the fact that they didn't like, like they cast a what, like, you know, seven year old version of Harry, but they didn't want to go through the bother of casting an 11 year old version for the 1996 scenes. All right. So the divorce is finalized. And then for some reason, Charles is like, you know what I want to do? I want to visit my ex-wife. Uh, so <laughs> he goes to Kensington. It seems like unplanned, unannounced. He's like, uh, I just got in the car and it sort of drove itself here. Tesla. Why, why do we think? <laughs> why do we think Charles is here? What What is his goal here? Um, I'm gonna get. Oh, oh, I, my guess is that, like, you know, when people want like external validation that they're right, or like some little bit of like, he just wanted one last little bit of approval from his ex-wife before he never sees her again. I feel like he's kind of a 
he's starved of attention. I feel like he said that many times. So this kind of checks out for me. Yeah, I agree. Uh, like that combined with, uh, you know, maybe him wanting to have some kind of last word and, and be the one who, you know, gets to drop the mic and walk away. Or even just the satisfaction of knowing that he has a girlfriend and she doesn't. Just to see that. Or I guess, you know, yeah. Do you think he wanted to tap it one last time? I, I don't think so. Uh, you know, I feel like he really likes Camilla, like more than Diana. Yeah, I yes, would say but no. The, you know, this is this is not a man who's committed to the idea of fidelity, and and also he you know opened up the conversation by you know uh, peppering her with a couple of compliments. So I don't know because the funny thing is like you can see him cheating on Diana with Camilla, but could you imagine the story if he had cheated on Camilla with Diana like after the fact? I guess we'll never know. We'll never know. I think he wants her to apologize and be like. I was wrong. I shouldn't have done this to you. And uh, he's definitely not going to get it. Um, but no. I think that's kind of why he's flattering her at first, so that she'll be more likely to open up and be like, oh, yeah, I'm sorry that uh, I said you wouldn't be a good king. You'd be a great king. <laughs> but, yeah, what a wild conversation uh, between them both. It takes so many twists and turns. So, yeah, at the beginning, it's a little flirty. Diana talks about the revenge dress. Uh, which we talked about here on the podcast. She's like, if I'd known you were coming, I would have worn a revenge dress. Which, which, like, <laughs> like honestly, more than anything we've seen this season, just feels like a line that Peter Morgan made up. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah. yeah, I don't know if she would be that self-aware to like make references to her own headlines to Charles. Well, also, yeah. what did it was it? I mean, it was during one of our earlier episodes this season. I think, Carlin, you might have even um, pointed this out, is that the entire concept of the revenge dress was something that was kind of like a, a potentially a media fabrication and yeah. that like there was never really any kind of official moniker or, uh, you know, intention of Diana making it a revenge dress. That's just how the, the, the media viewed it, right? Yeah, yeah, most likely. And I felt like Charles alluded to that as well, because he's like, I read so much of your motives in the headlines. But Charles says, uh, actually, he likes her in just normal clothes, uh, natural. This makes her blush, and she only blushes with him, infuriatingly. And then uh, Charles is like, you know, maybe I should say more nice things. I probably don't say enough nice things. <laughs> like, oh, really? what really, a realization man? for you to have, sir. Isn't that something that happens with divorces, though? Like, you're so bitterly hateful of the person you're with when you're married, but then once you're, like, not with them anymore, you're like, oh, I can tolerate you now. Well, yeah, because I think at that point, like, the stakes are gone. Like, you're not trying to salvage anything. You're you're not trying to, uh, you know, negotiate any kind of further settlements. Like, it's over, and, like, you know, you recognize that you are going to need to have some kind of future with this individual, especially given their circumstances. And at this point, like, now that that all of the ugliness is gone. Like, you know, let's just make the best of what's left. I get it. I, I, I like to think that like Charles had like this semi noble intention of using this as an opportunity to kind of like clear the slate and try to, you know, start off this next chapter of whatever relationship they're going to have on the right foot. I'd like to think that. 
Mm-hmm. I don't know that, that that was really what was going on. And I definitely don't know that this conversation ever even occurred in real life. Probably didn't. But again, within the confines of the crown in which Diana is a terrible person, I'd like to believe that Charles was trying to do the right thing here. Uh, So Diana actually earlier in the episode, it seems like she's at therapy and she's like, everybody is leaving me, including all of my secretaries. And uh, the result of this is that the nuts in her living room have not been replaced in months. And so Charles eats one. (laughs) <laughs> yeah oh, well also she also made the comment that like oh now that you're gone i'm eating onions again <laughs> that's a sad life that sounds very real for many women i mean it's strange like onions are so foundational in cooking it's like how do you even avoid them oh you can do it you can ask darren to do it but we've never seen darren so how would we know what that looks like wait Dar- is, is darren the, the the chef from spencer yes yes they were oh, like shit. really good friends. Yeah. Right. And th- is this the first time he's even been mentioned, right? Yes. yes. This is I justice for Darren. <laughs> oh, sure. Why isn't okay. he here? Yeah, it's kind of a bummer because I I really did like seeing sort of like the machinations of like team Diana, like her all of her like, you know, secretaries and all the people that were in her camp. Like uh that was uh, you know, something about that felt very um like early crown where we had like multiple factions with like, you know, several people representing one party or one interest that were all kind of going to war with one another. And uh, yeah, we got a little bit of that probably more so toward the end of season four, but yeah, it's, it's sad to have seen that diminish off screen. It's really interesting though, too. Cause like I did, sure. I'm going to know this, but like he was also a huge part of her eventually healing from her eating disorder and they like that was such a big plot point in last season and like it does have a resolution but we never see it here for some reason like why make it so big and then never mention it again part of me is like how much do we blame one of my least favorite characters martin Bashir, because (laughs) he's always he was always telling her like oh you can't trust this person you can't trust that person like i'm sure that doesn't create a, a healthy work environment where she's always like, can I trust you? Like, <laughs> She seems to trust the chef. I don't know, because she was like so fondly mentioning him. Like, yeah, he leaves me sticky notes of how to cook, and then she still can't cook. Yeah, it's it, 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 it continues to trouble me how many times, like in the discourse of this season, we have like posed the question, why aren't we seeing that? Why didn't they show us this? Like, why aren't they depicting that instead? It, it seems like almost everything that would create juicy television is happening off screen this year. Yeah, what weird decisions they're making here. Indeed. I don't know. Indeed. Uh, okay, so Charles doesn't know where the kitchen is. They eventually find it, and uh, they eat breakfast in there, which it seems like uh, is a novel Sore thing. subject. So <laughs> we don't need to talk about the eggs again. But then Charles wants to review the marriage. Uh, they go back and forth on... Oh, hold on, hold on, Sam. You're skipping past the best line of the whole episode, which is when uh, Charles asks, why don't we just simply eat scrambled <laughs> eggs for every meal? Didn't he already for the eat man? an egg Isn't for he... oh, no, he doesn't eat lunch. every meal? Or at least for lunch? What was the egg? What was his No, egg he diet? doesn't like lunch. He doesn't like lunch. Uh, he said, like, breakfast is too simply too delicious to give up. And I think for every meal, he always has, like, a fried egg on top of whatever he's eating. Like, so, this man uh, does... loves eggs. He really does. Jeez, that's right. It's defining character trait is how much he loves eggs. 
Yes. Uh, okay, but they. What were you gonna say, Sam? <laughs> anyways, they uh, they autopsy the marriage. Uh, they hit a lot of points. I feel like that they've hit on throughout the course of two seasons now. I don't think they really said anything new here. You know what? Like this entire um, uh, scene or kind of sequence, uh, you know, at Diana's apartment feels like uh, the sort of like, um, what would you kind of call it? Like sort of narrative construction of a clip show. Like you could have had an episode of The Crown where it's just them at this apartment. It's like, hey, remember that one argument we had? Remember that one time you stabbed me in the back? And then we just cut away to like, you know, old scenes from season four where, uh, you know, throughout the course of 60 minutes, we get like a nice little like highlight and low light reel of this entire marriage. Like that's what this whole thing felt like. Because there were so many like references to things that, it was almost like, hey, viewers, remember that happened too? Like, uh, did you forget about that? Like, it, it it just felt like they were trying to kind of like, in a very like on the nose way, just kind of recap the whole marriage, which doesn't seem like the type of conversation that anybody would actually have in real life. And it's not the con- kind of conversation we need to have uh, as a viewer of The Crown. Like, we know this. I think they really just wanted to get uh, these two actors together one more time. Because they were yeah, like, yeah, this is their yes. uh, their Emmy scene. What do you mean? Yeah, <laughs> because they were like they spent so much time apart this season. Like one person is here, one person is here, and they never interacted. Yeah, <sighs> yeah. and 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 so many of these you know scenes that are supposed to kind of provide emotional climax the season, like this scene, um, you know, the scene with the panorama interview, uh, the scene with Charles's interview, uh, the scene where Diana is. Uh, uh, you know, answering uh, questions that will be used in that uh, book about her. Um, a lot of these scenes that are supposed to provide very dramatic heights have fallen flat for me, including this one. It's because, right, like it's always inherently more dramatic when it's an interaction between characters. And all of these events have been just kind of like solitary decisions. Yeah. Right, but th- th- this was supposed to be like the climax of the season. This was supposed to be what it all led up to, like one final confrontation between them where they, uh, you know, kind of put a period on on this story. And uh, yeah, again, just went out with a whimper, not a bang. Yeah, so yeah. Uh, Charles makes Diana say Camilla's name, which feels like a weird power move. Uh, and then... Diana is basically like, uh, well, Charles brings up the uh, what she said about him being king. And then Diana's like, well, I just think that maybe you'd be better suited for something else. I mean, and, she's not <laughs> wrong. And uh, then Charles is mad. And then Diana's mad. And then Charles is like, I married you because I had no choice. And Diana says, everyone wants William to be king, not you, because they like me. <laughs> yeah, again, I didn't get that from nowhere. Got it from her premonition. Um, but yeah. And then, and then Charles is liberated. This is what he needed to hear. And then Diana's crying in the kitchen. What a fight. I know. It, esca- I feel it escalated so quickly. <laughs> it really did. But hey, at least this nonsense is over now. All right. So then we get their actual divorce, uh, their like divorce proceedings in the courtroom. Uh, they always ask, are there any objections? Like if someone had objected, <laughs> what would have happened? I don't know. Like, can someone even object? They'd be like, no, this divorce can't go through. Like, if Queen Elizabeth herself had shown up and be like, I well, object. Then, yeah, I think then it would have stopped. Then it would have stopped. Yeah, I, I, I don't think anybody would have dared to object because then they become the story. And I don't think anybody wants to be the main character uh, of Twitter in today's era. Okay. And then, yeah, we end on um, 
the news report from like their wedding. I don't know. This didn't really do it for me either. It was a weird choice. Yeah. Like I feel like they could have just ended it after the divorce was finalized. Yeah. I don't know. They didn't build much nostalgia for them as a couple. (laughs) (laughs) And we never saw, it's not like we ever saw their wedding. I feel like they, they make a point of not showing us anybody's wedding. It's so true. All right, before we close out here, RIP to Dr. Khan, who I think we're never going to see again. <laughs> so, I, yeah. wish, I wish I had known. Otherwise, I would have, uh, <laughs> you know, <laughs> cherished those moments more, I guess. <laughs> again, like one, like I'd love to watch the version of this season that just showed us everything happening off screen. Because even just, you know, one scene of, uh, you know, him affirming that, he no longer wants to see her would have been a lot more interesting than a lot of the stuff that we're watching. MVP to champagne, I guess. <laughs> All the lawyers are drinking champagne. Uh, they had a good, yeah. a good time. Kinky crown. Man, yeah, kinky crown. Oh, Let's go. Was, this was a hard this was a one. Tough one. This was a tough one. Um, All right, what do, you, what do you got for me? Who wants to go first? Sam, do you want to go first? I guess I will go with, uh, I'll go with Charles making Diana say Camilla's name. Mm. I think it turned him on. I'm between two, and I guess I'm going to go with I like you in normal clothes. Okay, okay. So from the same scene, which I think has been happening a lot this season, right? Well, do you want me to do the one from the other scene instead? No, no, no. I was just remarking uh, on the fact that in season five, like most of the kinky crown moments tend to kind of come from the same well. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Wait, what was the other scene? Oh, no, I, I was literally, it was so bad. I was like, I can't find anything. So like the candlelit toast with Diana and her lawyers, like why was it candlelit? That was mine. <laughs> it felt really romantic. Oh, interesting. Uh, but what was your actual one, remind me? Uh, the, I like you in normal clothes. I like you in normal clothes. Okay, uh, I am actually going to give it to Sam. I think, uh, you know, saying Camilla's name is, uh, yeah, there was definitely a bit of an erotic charge to it. And uh, yeah, this <laughs> yeah. is probably one of those occasions where, you know, especially this season where there's been a nominee for Kinky Crown that made me go, oh, yeah, definitely. So All congratulations, right. Sam. Thank you. Nice. I know, I'm glad I went with that and not uh, John Major saying he was tickled by Queen Elizabeth calling him an umpire. <laughs> that would have been good though. <laughs> eh, no, it wouldn't have. <laughs> it was good. That's that's good. Um, all right, so that is the crown, season five, episode nine, couple thirty-one. And here we are, one episode to go. Next week, we're talking about the crown season five, episode ten, decommissioned. After heightened public scrutiny, Charles forges a new alliance in Hong Kong. And what do you know? Muhammad Al-Fayed offers his support to a newly divorced Diana. So finally, we'll get some payoff from episode, is that three? Three. Episode three, seven episodes later. Here we go. Yeah, and, 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 not, and not to mention the ongoing subplot about, uh, you know, Hong Kong's independence from Great Britain that we've been watching all season. <laughs> oh, oh, man. Oh, my God. All right, Ivan, if people want to connect with you about The Crown, where can they do that? Uh, you can find me at any William Sonoma next to the nonstick pan section. I'll, I'll be hanging out, <laughs> giving people advice on uh, uh, the, the proper tools and apparatus to use to cook with that type of cookware. All right, thank you. Uh, that is the information that we all need. Uh, Carlin, what about you? Um, Twitter, at Carlin Greenwald. Instagram, at Carlin underscore G-E-E. 
All right. And you can find me on Twitter at Sir Sam Chung. But the best place to reach us if you have any thoughts, comments, or questions about The Crown is on Twitter at CrownAroundPod. That's all we got for you this week. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time. God save the queen. God save, God the, save queen. the queen.